crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Noctegal. I'm coming to you today from Jerusalem, Israel. Thank you very much for listening in. A couple of months ago, a uh, listener from Oklahoma sent me an email, and it was to a link of an article that detailed a family associated with the prophet Jeremiah and all the different connections of the, the, the originator of this family and then the sons and the grandsons and how they worked with the prophet Jeremiah. And it really got me thinking about how while we, while we normally focus on the prophets themselves, there are always supporters that are called alongside to help. There, are, there is work to be done by many people more than just the prophet. And the story of Jeremiah is full of that. Uh, and we're going to go through a couple of examples of that today. First, in the first half, we are going to talk about this family of, of Shaphan or Shaphan. And then in the second part of today's show, I want to focus more on Baruch, who was Jeremiah's scribe. But this family of Shaphan goes back to the time of Josiah's reign. In fact, Shaphan was, was no doubt older than Jeremiah. Uh, we, we read about him in the book of Chronicles and the book of Kings. We don't read about him himself in the book of Jeremiah. But he is there early on in the, the, the reign of Josiah. And he is the scribe of Josiah. He's the personal assistant of Josiah. He is a go-between between Hilkiah, the high priest, and Josiah. And he's mentioned a lot, as well as his son, uh, during the reign of Josiah. So we'll pick that up first. But before I read this passage, it is important to realize that this history of Jeremiah, which during his period, uh, whether we're talking about the empires involved, Egyptian, Babylonian, uh, whether we're talking about the actual destruction of Jerusalem in 586 or the besiege or the besiegement that took place for a year before then, or whether we talk about the different waves of of enslavement from uh, Jerusalem, the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, during the raid of Jeconiah or Jehoiakim, uh, all of these details, as well as so many in the book of Jeremiah itself, they are backed up by history. The Babylonian Chronicle writes of what Nebuchadnezzar did, writes about how many people he took into power. Um, you've got those the tablets that are found that were found right underneath the Ishtar Gate in Babylon, which discusses Jeconiah being king or being brought to Babylon, and the and the rations, the food rations, and others, other things that he and his sons were given. The Bible talks about that, and also these other tablets from from that period talk about that as well. So this this period is so well attested to in uh, archaeology and literary sources. It's the book of Jeremiah is fact. Whether you believe that that God or not, or whether God was an actual actor in this history or not, performed miracles or not, was backing Jeremiah or not, we have no reason to doubt. And 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 even anti, let's say anti God scholars would have no reason to doubt that this biblical book of Jeremiah is not accurate. 
the people are accurate. Uh, we have numerous of them that are that have been discovered through archaeology, first and last last names. Um, the people are are true historical personalities, and the events that they are part of are true historic personalities. The story of Jeremiah fits perfectly into the geographic setting uh, of the the late uh, early sixth century BCE. It does. And so this is a factual account. This is the account of Jeremiah the prophet and the people that God called alongside to Jeremiah to help with that prophetic mission. While it was a lonely life, no doubt, for Jeremiah, he was told, um, at least at first, not not to marry, to ensure that he could dedicate himself completely to this difficult work that he would face. Um, uh, in declaring to the nation a warning message from God for a good 40 years. He was a prophet that warned for a long time. And in terms of this family of Shaphan, it looks like where he's first mentioned here, Shaphan, that is, in the time of King Josiah, Jeremiah was probably starting his warning message about this same moment as well. But we're just going to read from the account in Kings uh, today. It says in 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse 3, And it came to pass in the 18th year of Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshelam, the scribe, to the house of the Eternal, saying... And so here we're introduced to this Shal, uh, a Shaphan man, and it gives his uh, his uh, genealogy before, but we don't too know too much about his father or grandfather. But we do know a lot about him. And he was a trusted advisor and scribe, as it says there, the sofer, to, to this king, righteous king. And he's telling him to go and talk to the high priest. Verse 4, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Eternal, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver it to the hand of the doers of the oversight of the house of the Eternal, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Eternal to repair the breaches of the house. So Shaphan sends this, is, is, takes this message to Hilkiah, and the message is, let's take some of that money and let's beautify and clean up the temple. It's fallen into disrepair through my father's reign and even into his, his, great, his grandfather's reign as well, Josiah's that is. And so they do this. They start cleaning it. And what do they find? Verse 8, And Hilkiah the priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the eternal. And Hilkiah gave the book, the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And so you get this sense here, though Hilkiah was the high priest, that this Shaphan was an incredibly powerful individual that did have a great relationship with Josiah. He was the first person to read this copy of the law, which some say might have been the very copy that Moses wrote. Um, so it's got of the of the first five books of the Bible, and gives it to Shaphan, and Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again, and so he's delivering this message to the king. The servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, and that have the oversight of the house of the eternal. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has delivered me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. And so there is Shaphan reading before Josiah the, the first five books of the Bible. And the, and the response is just amazing from Josiah, recognizing the fact that the people just aren't, and him included, probably aren't keeping the law uh, like they should be doing. 
And this were the powerful response that Josiah had was in full view of Shaphan, the scribe. Notice he's mentioned in verse uh, 11 and 12. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Achbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the scribe and Isaiah a servant of the king saying. And so we are actually introduced to his son as well here, this, uh, this Ahikam. That was also... Um, a son of Shaphan. So Shaphan had a son right there working in the royal palace as a scribe. Maybe perhaps he's training him as a scribe as well. And they are uh, a team that God is going to use to go and talk to the prophetess at this time. That was Holder and Josiah wanted to know, what do I do? What do I do to get things back on track? And you have this prominent family being used in this business. We're going to jump forward now about 10 years uh, to 609 BC, and that's when this chapter in the book of Jeremiah uh, mentions this Ahikim and how he actually saved Jeremiah's life. Again, this is Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, who was Shaphan, again, the scribe in Josiah's court. This is Jeremiah chapter 26, and you can see in Jeremiah chapter 26 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word from the eternal, saying, So you'll recall that uh, Josiah died in battle against uh, Pharaoh Necho up in the north, right outside Megiddo. And the the Jews set up his son briefly, Jehoaz, to be the next king. He only reigned for three months. And then uh, the Egyptians, who didn't want Jehoaz to rule, they set up this Jehoiakim to be the next king. And this happens, again, around 609 BC. And this, again, the book of Jeremiah, just good to remember, it's not in chronological order, a lot of it. Uh, So we may be going backwards and forth in the book of Jeremiah today, but we are trying to try and stay in chronological order, just so you can see how this family was used throughout the history of Jeremiah, throughout the message of Jeremiah, throughout this warning message that he gave. So here we are in chapter 26 and verse 1, and this happened in the very beginning of Jehoiakim's reign. And this wasn't an easy message for Jeremiah to deliver. This is what God told him to do. He said, Thus says the Eternal, Stand, this is verse 2, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command to you to speak unto them. Don't diminish a word. And so Jeremiah is going to deliver this message to them. Basically, pay attention, listen, change, amend your ways. This message is from God or this very house that you're in right here in the temple. I am going to make it as Shiloh. Shiloh was destroyed. And this house is going to be just like Shiloh. And obviously the people, most of the people did not like this. Verse 8, now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Eternal had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him, saying, You shall surely die. And so he's there by the temple giving this message, and they hear about it at the king's house or the palace, all the commotion. And so they come up from the king's house, some of the royal officials, to the temple, and they sit down to hear what Jeremiah says. Well, first, you have the priest there saying, This man deserves to die. That's what they're saying to the princes or to the administrative officials in Jerusalem. 
This man is worthy of death. And so then Jeremiah speaks up, verse 12, And spoke Jeremiah unto all the princes and to the people, saying, The Eternal sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that you have heard. Now therefore amend your ways and your doings, so that God changes his mind. Now we know that we are just at this point um, where we're really close to the Babylonians coming in the first time. Just a matter of years. And Jeremiah is saying, now is the time to repent. Now, it's interesting in this chapter that when you have more of the royal officials, instead of the priests that come to hear them, will come to hear Jeremiah, they say, this man isn't, isn't worthy of death. And certain of them rose up, verse 17, of the elders of the land and spoke to the assembly of people, saying, and they reference the historical example of Micah, that is the prophet Micah, that came to warn at the same time as Isaiah, King Hezekiah, and how Hezekiah responded to it, and how it actually saved the city. And so, through this speech by some of these, more of the noble people, more of the people from from the palace at that point, not necessarily Jehoiakim, because um, he wanted to put Jeremiah to death, uh, he would try to do that later, but we have some of them standing up. And then the very last verse of this verse tells us some of those individuals, or one of them specifically, that stood up for Jeremiah. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put to death. And so this is just beautiful. Here we are, a good... 13 or 14 years, something like that, after the, the copy of the laws found during Josiah's reign. And we have the same Ahikim, that is the son of Shaphan, that saves Jeremiah's life from the people early on. And Jeremiah's got such a huge mission to go on after this point that it is extremely important that this took place. Now let's move ahead a couple of years of the story and we'll be introduced to Ahikam's brother, another son of Shaphan, in Jeremiah chapter 36. Now this is one of those amazing chapters that if you put it together right with the other events that took place from other parts of the Bible uh, and you understand the history of this very chapter, what's going on at the same time, it can have a profound impact at our understanding of what God expected of those he called alongside to help the prophet. There was a lot of work, a lot of faith, uh, and a lot of effort that they had to put in. Yes, the, the, the big tests were for God's uh, prophet Jeremiah, but everyone that he wants to help God's prophet, he gives them plenty of opportunities to exercise faith as well. As we'll see here, we're going to be introduced to Baruch at this time. This is the first time that we are mentioned to uh, Baruch is mentioned in Scripture, at least in terms of chronology here, in Jeremiah chapter 36. Notice verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that the word came, that this word of uh, came unto Jeremiah the Eternal, saying. So it's really important to happen to understand this fourth year of Jehoiakim. Uh, the Bible timestamps a lot of events to this very moment. 
not necessarily in chronological order. They're in different books a lot of the time. Um, but this is a very critical year. And this is a very critical chapter because up to this point in Jeremiah's history, in Jeremiah's work, all through part of Josiah's reign and into Jehoiakim's reign, he hasn't written anything down. Nothing's been written down. It's all just been God saying to Jeremiah, go say this. And then Jeremiah goes and says it in different parts of the city. And now in this chapter, God is going to tell Jeremiah, it's time to record everything that I've told you so that it can be around. It can be a witness to the people. It can be a witness to the people that are alive at that moment. And also it can be a witness to us later on in time. Verse 2, take a roll of a book and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto you against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. Everything, everything up to the fourth year of Jehoiakim and many of the early chapters in the book of Jeremiah are that are there those prophecies. And a lot of the prophecies at the end of the book of Jeremiah are those exact prophecies also. Notice verse 3, it had a purpose, that it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. That was the purpose. Write these things down, that they, if they hear them, they might repent, they might change. Verse 4, Jeremiah was not a writer, and was not a scribe, and so he had to find somebody to help him with this. And Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Eternal, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. And so here we have the book being written all in, in on on the scrolls, the papyrus scroll probably, or a leather scroll maybe. Uh, we're not ja- exactly sure which variation it was written on. Um, Baruch was a trained scribe. He was the son of Neriah. His father was a quartermaster or a, a chief steward in the, the court of Zedekiah later on. And so Baruch and his brother were, were famous individuals. They were, they had an official capacity probably, oh, they did, Um, definitely his brother, and and Baruch probably had an official capacity also before, before he started to do this work with Jeremiah, because Baruch was given a challenge here by God, and you can think about him being the first one to really put everything together write it all down at once. I don't know how many months this took, but it probably took a, a decent amount of time to write all this down. And here was Baruch writing these things down, and he knew that a lot of it had already happened. A lot of it had already happened. And one of the th- stinging things that he prob- was probably writing down was a vision that happened, well, not a vision, a message that God had given Jeremiah earlier on in this fourth year of Jehoiakim. You can see in Jeremiah chapter 25, that it says that in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, that's first one, this was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and we've got this message from Jeremiah saying that this nation is going to go into captivity. They are going to go into captivity to the Babylonians. That was the start of the fourth year. 
And then you can see here that partway during this fourth year, everything that Jeremiah had, had said since the 13th year of Josiah up to that point needed to be written down by Baruch. And Baruch wrote it down. But that's not where his job finished. It might have been where he wanted his job to finish at first. And there's plenty of indication we'll go to that shows exactly that. But notice what happened in verse 5. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch saying, I am shut up. I cannot go into the house of the Eternal. Therefore, go you, great scribe, and read in the roll which you have written from my mouth the words of the Eternal in the ears of the people in the Eternal's house upon the fasting day, and also you shall read them in the ears of all Judah that come up out of their cities. And it may be that they will present their supplication before the Eternal and will return everyone from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Eternal has pronounced against his people. So Baruch, I want you to do it. I want you to deliver this message. Thanks for doing just brilliant work with writing this down. Uh, it's very neat. I can I can read it quite well. This is going to form a, a great um, uh, purpose in the future as people 2,600 years later are going to read from the very words that, that Baruch, Baruch uh, wrote. But I have a mission for you right now in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Now this, the version of events here in chapter 36 it just says that God told him to do this, and verse 9, And it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah in the ninth month, that they proclaimed a fast. And so you just read through that from verse 8 to verse 9, and it seems that Jeremiah told Baruch to go do it. Baruch went and did it. No, no, no difficulty there, there at all for this scribe to go and actually deliver this message of warning in the temple to the people. But that's where other chapters in the Bible come in, or specifically another chapter, Jeremiah chapter 45. Again, this is not in chronological order. Jeremiah chapter 45 <clears throat> starts basically the last section of the book of Jeremiah, which is prophecies that were given at different times in Jeremiah's, um, uh, uh, while he was proclaiming his message. But Jeremiah chapter 45, thankfully, gives a very definite time at when this was written. And this is a message of correction for Baruch, the scribe, someone that God had called alongside the prophet to help the prophet. But in that calling was going to be tests and trials. And Baruch had to exercise quite a lot of faith himself. He couldn't draw back. God expected a lot from him to help Jeremiah. Chapter 20, 45 and verse 1 says this, The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he had written these words in a book at the mouth of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying. So notice this actually tells us exactly when this message came. This was when he had written these words in a book at the mouth of Jeremiah in that fourth year. Exactly the same thing. This is relating to Jeremiah chapter 36. This is saying that right when he had stopped doing this, finished it, 
in the fourth year, before you get to the fast, in the fifth year, as it says in verse 8 of Jeremiah chapter 36, this is what's taking place. He's finished writing the law. God's told, uh, not the law, sorry, Jeremiah's prophetic message. He's finished writing that, and God tells him, I want you to go deliver it. And then he doesn't do it. Not at first. Verse 2, this is the message I want you to give him. Thus says the Eternal, the God of Israel, unto you, O Baruch. (laughs) So God is using Jeremiah the prophet to give a message to a specific individual, and a specific individual that God loved, a specific, specific individual that God wanted to help out the service of his work. You did say, woe is me now, for the Eternal has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. That's what Baruch was saying. Woe is me. I'm upset. I've, I've just, there's sorrow been added to my grief, and I'm fainting. I don't have any rest. He was worried of what to do. He found it extremely difficult to deliver this message. But God had some encouragement for him. Verse 4, And shall you say unto him, The Eternal says thus. That's what Baruch says. Baruch saying, Woe is me. This is what you should tell to him, Jeremiah. Behold, that which I have built will I break down, and that which I have planted I will pluck up, even this whole land. Now if you look at the Hebrew there, I will pluck up, it's written in present tense. It's meaning that you tell him that I'm in the process right now of plucking up this whole land. That's what I'm doing right now, Baruch. Verse 5, And seek you great things for yourself. I'm about to bring this entire nation into captivity. In fact, I'm doing it right now. We know from the book of Daniel, if you read over there in the book of Daniel chapter 1, I think it's verse 1 or 2, it talks about how Daniel goes in the third year of Jehoiakim, and that's just because that was written from Babylon and they don't count from the ascension year. Basically, it's talking about this exact time period. During this fourth year of Jehoiakim, we are going to have this nation start to be plucked up. And you're worried about great things for yourself? You care about your own future? Yes, you're a great scribe. Yes, you, you might have had this awesome future inside uh, the, the court of Jehoiakim. But what about this whole nation? What about my work? That's what's really going on here, Baruch. Get over yourself. Help me out. Help my prophet. This was a strong message to Baruch. But he needed a, he needed a wake-up call. It, it might have been real easy. It probably was real easy back then, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, to think that, okay, Jeremiah's prophecies there, they are, you know, they do look like they're from God. But but we have time to repent, we have time to change. Surely it's not as bad as Jeremiah says. And Baruch might have thought, am I really willing right now to give up my whole future and throw my lot in? With this crazy prophet, Jeremiah, I've seen how the royal princes ridicule him. And if I go and deliver this message, I can kiss away my own future. 
There'll be no seeking great things for myself, and in the Bible's terminology there, because he'll be done with his former life. He had to throw his lot in with Jeremiah the prophet. That's what God was asking him at this point. And let's conclude this now in verse uh, verse four, 5. It says this, And seek you great things for yourself, seek them not. For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, says the Eternal, but your life will I give unto you for a prey in the places where you go. And so basically he said, yeah, it might be difficult. I'm plucking up this whole land. I am going to bring everybody here into captivity, but I'll promise you, Baruch, I'll promise you that I'll give you a place of safety. I'll protect you. Wherever you go, I'll look after you. I'll give your life as a prey or a prize, a prize of war. You help me out. You fall in line. You go all in with Jeremiah, and I'll protect you. I'll protect you throughout your life. Notice what archaeologist Nachman Avigad wrote. He excavated the Jewish quarter here in Jerusalem back in the 70s. Um, I believe it was. And he also wrote a book on a trove of bullae that were found. It's called Hebrew Bullae from the Time of Jeremiah. Um, these were bullae that a lot of them don't have provenance. They they were found at some point, but we don't know where they came from. And one of them was the bulla of uh, the seal impression of Baruch, Baruch the son of Neriah. It says this, This raises the question, controversial among scholars, concerning the status of Baruch the scribe. Was he an official scribe or only Jeremiah's personal scribe? The latter view enjoys greater favor among scholars, for Baruch is mentioned only in connection with Jeremiah. But it's not necessarily correct. The discovery of a bulla impressed by Baruch among the bulla of royal officials would seem to indicate that at the time of its sealing, Baruch was serving as an official scribe. He was of a noble family. His brother Sariah, the son of Neriah, was a minister in Zedekiah's court and was sent to Babylon on an important mission. That's interesting. You can go and read that in in Jeremiah chapter 59, verse 64. He's sent to Babylon uh, as part of the king Zedekiah's entourage. This is before uh, the final final, uh, besiegement of Jerusalem. And he takes a message for Babylon from Jeremiah. He, he, Jeremiah, probably the scribe, his brother, writes out this message. I think, yeah, it is in Jeremiah, maybe 58 and 59, or maybe it's just 59. Um, and then he binds it up in a, in a scroll and he ties, carries it to Babylon, ties rocks to it, preaches this message, um, and throws it in the Euphrates. And it sinks in the Euphrates. That's what his brother was doing. But again, Sariah was this, um, minister in Zedekiah's court. So it stands to reason that Baruch had a higher position as well, and that he was not just the scribe of Jeremiah before, but had uh, different goals. He was already a scribe, not the scribe in Zedekiah's court probably, but one of the scribes. Baruch seems eventually to have left his official position, this is quoting Avigad now, and joined Jeremiah in his struggle against the pro-Egyptian and anti-Babylonian policy of the court, a policy which was soon to lead to the destruction of Jerusalem. Then it says this, If Baruch had previously been a scribe in royal service, then it might be assumed that the bulla bearing his name reached the archive, along with its document, at a time when Baruch was still an official, that is, prior to 604 BC, when he wrote out Jeremiah's scroll. So he was probably a royal official before then, writes out Jeremiah's scroll, 
has this difficulty because he, God wants him to deliver it. And then he decides that he will deliver it. He responded well. I mean, God did offer him this great perk, if you can call it that, that this, I will protect you wherever you go. Wherever you go, meaning where I lead you, I will protect you. Because he followed Jeremiah and went with Jeremiah um, on his travels after this time. But he was protected. But that does show that he eventually did change his mind. He did put God's goals above above his goals. He put supporting God's prophet, whatever that came with, whatever, whether it came with condescension, whether it came with a loss of his, his uh, future as a royal scribe, he was ready to throw all of his lot in with Jeremiah and fulfilling God's work. And let's see that back now in Jeremiah chapter 36. So again, you can just slot Jeremiah chapter 45 right there. Uh, in Jeremiah 36, right after Jeremiah's finished writing all the words, Baruch's finished writing all the words down, and before he delivers it. And here in Jeremiah chapter 36, we're going to be introduced to another member of the son, or another two members actually, of the, the family of Shaphan also. And it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. So this is after, again, Jeremiah 45. In the ninth month that they proclaimed a fast before the eternal, to all the people in Jerusalem and to all the people that came from the cities of Judah unto Jerusalem. So again, this was a fast of the people. Um, The fact that the people were fasting didn't do anything. Jeremiah corrected his fast elsewhere. Isaiah corrected their fast elsewhere. This isn't to say you don't fast, but just because they're fasting here doesn't mean they're in a righteous position with God at all. But, This is the time period that Baruch would start reading this message. Verse 10, Then read Baruch in the book of the words of Jeremiah, in the house of the Eternal, in the chamber of Gamariah, son of Shaphan the scribe, in the higher court, at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house, in the ears of the people. So he delivers this, and he delivers it in the chamber of this Gamariah, the son of Shaphan. And this Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, we know is a real individual, uh, a seal impression with his name. Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, was found in Area G in Yigal Shalos excavations in the 80s uh, in the Bullet House. Number 51, 51 Bully were found, or seal impressions were found there. Uh, this is right on the stepstone structure if you've been to Jerusalem. And his Bulla was the only one out of the, those 51 um, that were found in those controlled scientific excavations that matched up with Scripture. First and last name, definitely an individual, found in the destruction layer there from 586, 585 BC, right during the time of destruction of Jerusalem, just after Jeremiah uh, has been preaching his message. So it's found in the right context. And so we know that this is a man that existed. This, again, is a real story, real history. And we have Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, that... Uh, testifies to that. So this is the brother of Ahakim that we read about during the time period um, earlier, right at the beginning of, 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 of Jehoiakim's reign a few years ago, saved Jeremiah's life once. And his father, again, was there as the chief cons- consul, basically, that wasn't a prophet necessarily, of um, of Josiah. And here we have Gemariah, the son of Shaphan. Now, 
they they were meeting inside his house, or this is where his or his um his chamber, let's put it that way, his works workplace, inside the temple. Gamariah at this moment was not there, but Gamariah's son was there listening, and his name was Micaiah. You can see here in verse 11, when Micaiah, the son of Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard out of the book all the words of the, of the Eternal, verse 12, then he went down into the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and lo, all the princes sat there, even Elishama, the scribe, and Deliah, the son of Shemaiah, and Elnathan, the son of Achbor, and Gamariah, his dad the son of Shaphan, and Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. And so uh, this this Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, he was a royal official. He wasn't the scribe, but he had his own chamber inside the temple, and that's where Baruch read his message first. His son was there listening to it. Then his son delivers this message and, and brings Baruch and says, hey, come talk to my dad. Again, this, this was a, a man that had pretty good stock. As far as his uncle helping Jeremiah's life, and uh, and so on with Josiah, verse thirteen, Micaiah declared unto them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the book of the ears of the people. Therefore, all the princes sent Yehudi, the son of Nathaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi, unto Baruch, saying, "Take in your hand the roll wherein you have read in the ears." Um, ears of the people and come. So Baruch the son of Neriah took the roll in his hand and came and they said, sit down, read it in our ears. So he did. And so Baruch reads it before these um, princes and before these other scribes. And notice this, this is just interesting. Verse seven. And Baruch, again, Baruch was probably well known to these people. Baruch was a scribe with great ambitions. He would have been well known to them. And these would have been, believe it or not, the people that Baruch look up, looked up to, most of all. I mean, he is in the presence of Ali Shama, who is the scribe of the king. And here he is delivering a message from God. But you know what? At this moment, God would have been so proud of Baruch facing those individuals who he cared so much about what they thought of him. I mean, that's the job that he wanted eventually. If he wanted to be a scribe, it's the best job in the world at that point for a scribe. And so God made him deliver the warning to them. But as is the case, uh, so often when God puts such things in front of us, um, the work was done before he started delivering this message. The work was done when he decided to listen to God's correction from Jeremiah and just get up there and do it. And then the response was actually quite good. The response was quite good from these scribes. Notice it, verse 17. And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how did you write all these words at his mouth? How did you do it? That's that's a lot of work. Verse 18, the Baruch answered them. He pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth. And I wrote them with ink in the book. And then the princes said unto Baruch, Go, hide you and your Jeremiah, and let no man know where you be. You need to you need to get out of here. You need to get out of here. Take Jeremiah, hide somewhere, because we, we'll take this message up the line, but the king isn't going to be happy about it. Verse 20, and, and they went into the king, into the court, but they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elisham of the scribe and told all the words in the ears of the king. 
So they hid the scribe, uh, this hid the role of the, the book of Jeremiah, this scribe did, in the, his chambers. But then when the king heard the words, he told Yehudi, go and fetch that roll. He took it out of Elishama's, the scribe's chamber, and Yehudi read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of the princes which stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. It came to pass that when Yehudi had read three or four leaves, he cut it with his penknife and cut it into the, and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid nor rent their garments, neither king nor any of his servants that heard the word, all of these words. Nevertheless, Elnathan and Deliah and Gamariah had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll, but he would not hear them. But the king burned it anyway. He burned it anyway. And God, he sent out a couple of people to try and find Baruch and Jeremiah. Um, but of course, God hid them. That was the promise that Baruch would receive. And th- throughout the, the rest of these years, uh, where, what are we now, 605 or 604 at this point? So for, for another 10 years, 10 plus, Baruch's going to be alive with Jeremiah, going, staying in Jerusalem, even when it's besieged, going down to Egypt and back up to Judah. And while he would have a difficult life, his life would be protected, though, as God promised. You can see here from the last part of the chapter that God made or asked Jeremiah to get Baruch again and and write out what was just burnt to a crisp. Write it again. And then add some extra words as well for Jehoiakim because it's not going to end well uh, for him. But really, if we just take a, a step back uh, and look at this chapter, it's a powerful testament to what God expects from others in support of God's prophets. There's always other individuals that God is interested in, developing faith in, trust in him. God could have done it all by Jeremiah's mouth. But no, no, God wanted Jeremiah chapter 36 there to be for Baruch. He wanted Baruch to step up. He wanted Baruch to follow God's prophet, to exercise some faith and trust and to put God's needs and God's desires above his own. And when it came down to it, God wanted him to sacrifice what he thought his future would be for God's work. And it turns out that he got to be one of the greatest scribes ever. I mean, here we are reading his book, Jeremiah's book, written by the hand of Baruch the scribe. And that's how it happens with God so often. It reminds me of Psalm 37, verse 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Eternal, in what He wants, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Yes, it didn't come about the way that Baruch would have planned, for sure, uh, with his scribal duties. But look in the end, look at the reward, and look at the work that he was so blessed to be a part of. And God offers that same opportunity that he offered to Baruch anciently to us today. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening in. If you would like to send some feedback, if you have any questions or even some topics that you would like covered on this program, please do write your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Thanks again for listening.